So uh, we, we are starting a new series this week um, in Exodus. This series, uh, the timing of it will, we did it this way on purpose. It's, it's going to be our lead into Easter. How many can believe Easter is like five weeks away? That is nuts. Uh, time is going so fast. Um, but, but this series will lead us right into Easter. Uh, we're, we'll end this series the, the Sunday before, uh, um, actually on Palm Sunday. Uh, and it's just going to be a, the reason we did that is there is a connection between the Exodus and, and the Easter story. And, and so we're going to look at that uh, over the, the next couple of weeks. There is a link between Easter and um, God's deliverance of his people out of, out of Israel. And so we're going to be looking at just the first part of the Exodus story. Exodus is a big, long book, and there's a whole lot in there. Um, but we're just going to be looking at the first uh, maybe third of it. Uh, we're, going to, we're not even going to cross the Red Sea. Uh, we're, we're just going to get out of Egypt. That is, that is what we're, we're going to be doing over the next uh, five weeks. But the, the Exodus story is, is, a, is a, a, an important story for us. It's an important part of Scripture. Um, this story tells us a lot about God. This story is about God revealing himself and establishing a, a relationship with Israel. Um, and by extension, you and me. It, it, Exodus, in a, in a lot of ways, is, a, is um, the, the God introducing himself and so, how many know when you first get to know someone, when you first meet someone, the, the, you know, you try, and, you try and lay out the important stuff first. And so there's some, some crucial things that God reveals in Exodus to his people and to us that, that we want to make sure that we're, we're, we take hold of and we understand and we embrace about the nature of God and how, how he connects with us. Um, the story is about... Um, as far as a narrative or a plot goes, this story is about how God rescues his people and starts forming a nation of his own. That's, that's the, the Exodus story. Um, this story is also about how God still rescues his people from oppressors. This is a, a, a narrative. This is a story that happened, real people, real place, real times. Um, in the story, we'll see, and, and many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with it, that uh, Egypt, the character of Pharaoh, the, the place of Egypt, will, will show us some insights into evil and human oppression. I mean, you know that that is that is not a that is not unfortunately something that has gone out of style. We we still have plenty of it around in, in our culture today: evil and human oppression. Um, but that, that human behavior is also driven by a spiritual one. And we can also gather from this story some truths about how the evil one seeks to keep us in bondage on, on not just a physical level, but a spiritual one and an emotional one. See, evil is not just an abstract concept, although it is that. But it is more than that. There are actual, sentient, intelligent beings that are intentionally and aggressively acting 
in concert with each other to bring pain, suffering, and rebellion against God and into this world and into your life. We, we, I want to make that very clear that we, we do not believe that the Bible does not support that evil is just an idea. There is, there is a real devil. There are real spiritual intelligent forces, not just some abstract energy that wants you and me dead, broken, depressed, sad, any bad thing they can, they can come up with. That's what they want for your life. And this story, this Exodus story, reveals some of the strategies, some of the ways, because while the enemy is, is very effective, um, I don't know if you call it, I don't know if you'd say he's not creative or he's just figured out what really works, uh, but what he used to do, he still does, right? And so we can see things in this text, in this story that I think are important for us to be aware of. This is a, a powerful story. It's a story that's so powerful, in fact, that um, in 1807, um, there was a missionary book published uh, in London. And the purpose of this book was they were going to bring, they wanted to bring Christianity to the slave population in the Caribbean islands. And while that's a good thing, the people bringing it had some very, very wrong, very evil ultimately, uh, perceptions on how this would work. And so they left out Exodus. Why? Because it's a powerful story about how God delivers his people out of slavery. Right? <laughs> it's not a good thing. But it's a good, this is a, it's a good example of just how powerful the story is. And so we need to spend time in it. The story teaches us that, that, that God is in the freedom business. It provides hope that what, whatever our situation, whatever our bondage, we have a God who can deliver us out of that. It's also a call to all believers that not only does God want to free you, free me from oppression, from to deliver us from evil, he wants to give us a part to play in the deliverance of others. We see this especially as we look at when we look at the life of, of, of the, the, the kind of the, the, the key, the he, key hero leader, if you want to call him that, Moses in the story where God, God delivers him but then sends him back in. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so we're going we're gonna to just let, let's jump in, but first let's just uh, ask the Lord to, to bless our time. God, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we. we Open a new story today, a new account. Um, God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts? Would you speak through your word? Lord, you told us that your word never returns void. And so, so um, would you bless your word? Would you empower your word to, to change us? Would you begin to, to set us on a path in the areas of life that... that we need freedom in. God, as we go through this series, would you stir up the callings and highlight the people in our lives that you have a part for us to play in leading them to freedom in. Amen. Amen. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We're just going to start at the beginning. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel. That is, Jacob, who moved out of Egypt with their father and each, of his fam- each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Dan, Gad, the others. Um, <laughs> you may recognize these names. These are the tribes, what will become the tribes of Israel, right? Now, we are at the very beginning of that story um, uh, of those those people becoming tribes, becoming people groups, right? Um, it's interesting. We call this book Exodus, and it makes sense. Exodus, you know, talks about leaving and an escape, um, and, and that's what the, the, the primary story of the book is about. But in Hebrew, um, they actually would use just the first couple words of the, of the book to name it. That's just what they would refer to it as. So in Hebrew, the name of this book and is, and these are the names. Right? It really rolls off the tongue. Um, but, <laughs> and I say that because there, there's, a, an, there's a reason that this, is, this was the first verse of this book. This is how the author Started this story, and that's because they wanted to, the author wanted to, from the beginning, make sure we understood that this isn't a standalone, that this is a continuation of Genesis, right? That this is, this is the story extended. And so he starts by saying, and these are the names. We're just going to keep with that same story. The, 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 the Bible is 66 books, but it's one story. It's one message in its totality. And here's the cool thing, and I really want us to embrace and remember this as we're reading, is that, that the story, the Bible the Bible, the canon concluded at Revelation, right? We're not going to add to that the canon, Scripture, um, after that. But the story continues all through history, all through the Middle Ages, all through, through all the ages. I don't know all the ages, but, you know, yesteryear and your and all of those things. All the way up to you and me sitting here today. We are a part of the same story. We are a continuation of what God was doing in Exodus. And so I want to encourage us as we're reading, as we're looking at this story, to really re- look at this as really peering into our own heritage, our own history, All right? I love watching, I think I've mentioned this before, I love watching the um, Finding Your Roots. Does anybody watch Finding Your Roots? It's, uh, it's on PBS. Um, they take different, mostly celebrities, and they'll sit down with them, and they'll do all this research, and then they'll show them like their, their history, their past, and go back as far as they can and reveal all this stuff about, about their lives. And, and it's amazing to me. I love watching how impactful it is that there is, when, when you learn about, when you know about your history, it has an impact on your identity. Um, and it's, so it's important that we're, these aren't just stories about some people out there somewhere. These are stories. This is an account about our own heritage. Amen. All right. Well, we got through three verses. That's good. Um, so we can continue. Verse five. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. And in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died. 
right? So uh, that ended that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites now, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. That's an important sentence, an important phrase, because it's actually um, kind of a pull quote from Genesis. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And so the author here is making a call back to that, saying that they were fulfilling their calling, right? This, this group that God had blessed and given, given this, this um, blessing that you will grow and become a mighty nation, he, he, they're fulfilling the call that God had put in, in, in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply and fill the land. They were doing what it was that they were supposed to do. But then... We have a turn of events in verse 8. Eventually, a new, came, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. If you remember what Joseph had done, right? He, Joseph goes to Egypt, the slave ends up, God's through, working through him, saves all of Egypt and the entire, basically the entire kingdom by interpreting some dreams and allowing Joseph to lead them into preparation so that they could survive a famine. And through that, he became famous and, and powerful. But this says this, this leader, this Pharaoh, uh, was past that and had forgotten about all of that. He forgot they forgot about Joseph and the good he had done, and now he has a very different perspective of, of, his, of Joseph's descendants. In verse 9, he says, He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now, Israel now outnumber us, and they are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down, crush it with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. So here we have this turn. We have this family who is, who is fulfilling the call of God on their life, and then this Pharaoh rises up and, and because of that blessing, sees them as a threat. Sees them as, as, as um, a, a risk. And I think that's a, that's a good warning for us. That God, when he blesses us, not everybody's going to be super excited about you getting God blessing your life. That is not, that's not something people... We're just, you know, human nature. We just, we don't like it when we're just that selfish. I know we grow up. I know we, we get taller, but we just, we tend to not really mature as much as we think we are. We're still that six-year-old kid. We're still, oh, my kids are downstairs. Okay, I can tell the story. Uh, <laughs> yesterday. So today after, after, uh, after service, Gracie has, uh, has a, a little dance thing at Polaris Mall. She's super excited about it. So we're all traipsing over there. We're, we're super, she was so excited about it. Couldn't wait to get there. She's, you know, all giddy. And then Cohen's not as excited because this means, you know, um, 
sitting and, you know, in a mall and all these things. So uh, I, I, you know, I made a deal with Cohen. Uh, yesterday we we're talking, he's like, buddy, you know, if we go to church and you help mom out in the morning and we go between church and the, and the, the dance thing, since we have a bunch of time to sit around, we'll go do something fun. Well, Gracie heard that and immediately... <laughs> All of a sudden, this great, amazing dance thing that she was so excited about is now rubbish, and she doesn't want to do that. She wants to go do whatever the fun thing is. All that to say, we're not that different, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so when, when God blesses us, not every, just don't expect everybody to be as excited about God's blessing in your life as, as you are. Um, we need to be prepared for that. Um, now, a lot of times in these situations, another question you might ask in this story is, well, why didn't the Egyptians just, you know, like merge with them? That was a common thing back then where if you had a, a people group you brought in, you would, you would just assimilate them, right? The goal would be to, to, well, let's just all be together. Let's be one culture. Let's mold. Let's melting pot style, you know, the way, the way we, we have that idea, at least here in, in, in America. We're a melting pot and let's all, let's all um, learn from each other. And, and grow together. Well, um, the Egyptians were, uh, they were just a very, uh, they believed that Egyptians were descended from the gods. And it would be, it would be beneath them to mix with other races. And so here we have uh, just, this is another little Side thing, we have this idea that, uh, you know, pride, ethnic superiority will always lead to oppression of another group, right? Um, and so this, that's what, what happens here. And we have Israel, this, this, this group that was trying to honor God, become oppressed and driven into slavery from all these factors. And one of the realities that this story confronts us with is this tension between God's good plans and promises to us and God's sovereign allowance for suffering and evil. And I call it a tension because the reality is that that's what it is. It will be, both of those things will always be to some degree until until what we read this, what Joyce read this morning, until that, all that happens, this is going to be a tension that we're going to have to, to walk through. Um, in our Rooted groups this week, if you're in Rooted, you, you, we've read about this. It's, I, I would wish I could take credit for this lining up, but it, it, it wasn't me. Um, this week in our Rooted groups was all about uh, enduring or dealing with pain and suffering. How does a good God allow suffering? And it's a tension that we have, to, we have to wrestle with. Listen, God doesn't do evil. Ever. God don't, you know, God don't like ugly. It's not something that, that he is in his character or his nature. But through our own actions, from, from Adam to you and me, We've used our delegated authority. God gave us in, from the garden on has given us a certain amount of authority, a certain amount of dominion. When he, we put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them some responsibilities. And with that came some, some authority. 
And we have used that authority, that power, um, to create pain and suffering for ourselves and for others. That's, that's, where, that's where our problems come from, y'all. The call is coming from inside the house, right? It's like, you know, we, and we really struggle at times with wanting to, you know, how could God do this? How could God allow this? And it's like, God allowed us to have some authority. And part of that is allowing us to have the consequences of the decisions we make. And this, this, this idea gets really, we really hard, have a hard time, especially in the West, I think, with this concept, because um, we, we, we think it should be very, we're so individualistic in our mentality, right? We, we think this should be, it's like, okay, I get that, but, but I have bad things happen to me that I can trace back to somebody else. Right. And, and there's part of us, a big part of us just goes, that's not fair. Right. That's not right. That's not. But the reality is we are a community of humanity. It's the way it is. And, and we have the ability to affect each other. It's the, that's how it was designed from the beginning. And, and, and we can we cannot like it, but it is the reality of the situation. It's a tension that we'll constantly have to wrestle with, with to some extent. And to some extent, we just, there, there are times where we have to just trust the Lord, where we just have to say, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't understand this. You know, it's, it's not wrong to ask the question why. It's just wrong to always come up with an answer. <laughs> there are times where the, the question goes without. And, and the real test of our faith, the real part of, of maturing in Christ is, can, can, you, can you be at peace when there is no answer to the why? Can you leave it there? Can you leave it and say, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why this is this is. But I know, I, I know God is sovereign. I know God is good. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust and I'm going to submit until, well, I'm just going to do those two things. And that's all there is. To it. <laughs> maybe there'll be more clarification, maybe. But I know either way, God is still going to work things out for me, if not in this life, then in the next. Verse 12. Um, all right. Verse 12, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Listen, uh, here's some good news. Evil can't fully ever stop God's blessing in your life. It can complicate things, but God will continue to override that blessing, right? So the, the, the Egyptians tried to, to squash the Israelites, but, but they had God's blessing to grow, and so there was nothing that they could do to stop that. God's promises in the fullness of time will always win out over evil. Will always win out over evil. But the Egyptians weren't going out without a fight. So, so the story continues, verse 13. So, so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter 
forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. Shiplap, I don't know, and Pua. Um, Thank you. When you help, when you help the, women, the Hebrew women as they give birth, he said, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Wow. Pharaoh's reaction to not being able to stop God's blessing and his plan gets more severe. He's going to murder all the baby boys and wipe out an entire generation as population control. Listen, this has always been a primary strategy of the enemy in his war on humanity. I'm talking, not talking Pharaoh now, I'm talking the devil. I'm talking our actual enemy. His strategy, one of his primary strategies has always been to de- destroy life at the outset. More specifically, and it gets more insidious than, than that. It's, it's, I mean, that's a good goal for him, but he, he's really hitting his stride and doing what he wants when he can manipulate us into taking those innocent lives. Why? Because he knows that taking, the innocent, taking of an innocent life demands a judgment. That we, we serve a God who is just. And if he can manipulate us into taking of an, in, in, an innocent life, now we have to deal with God's justice and God's judgment. And that will bring pain into our lives. Human sacrifice to the gods is a common theme throughout ancient cultures across the globe. Not every, not every culture, but it was a, it was, why? Because, because it was a good way for the enemy to trick us into killing innocent lives. Listen, the, the Pharaoh wasn't the first to use mass genocide to maintain order. He certainly wasn't the last. And today we are still falling into this trap as we collectively, globally, are killing tens of millions of babies through abortion. The enemy has tricked us into traumatizing ourselves. Listen, God is a loving, forgiving God, but he is also just. And actions have consequences, especially when there's no repentance. But, but a core uh, purpose of the Exodus story is that the Lord sets, the Lord wants to set things right. Listen, there's some good news here. I know that was heavy and uh, it's not even really the core point, but I, I just couldn't be faithful to the text without, without going there for a minute. Um, but the core purpose of the Exodus story is that Lord wants to set things right. He wants to, you know, it's funny, there's this kind of tension in church circles. Um, we have this conversation, you know, is God uh, a judgmental? We use this word a lot. God, you know, God, God is a God of judgment or no, God loves us. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. 
Those two things are not mutually exclusive. My, my, so my middle name is Daniel, right? Daniel literally means God is my judge. I mean, no, this was not my favorite thing that I learned when I was nine, ten years old. I used to hate it. I really did. I would just, it just terrified me. Like, you know, this, this constant reminder, God is my judge. Um, but when I got a little older and I learned about what judgment really is, it wasn't so bad. See, judgment is not, we think judgment and we hear the word judgment and we think punishment. The word judgment doesn't mean punishment. The word judgment means setting things right. Right? And there's a whole book, of the, uh, book in the Old Testament called Judges. These judges, their primary purpose was not punishing people. Their primary role, what made them a judge, was that they freed people. They set Israel back on the right path. And so when we say God is judging us, when we talk about God's judgment, there certainly can be pain involved in it, but the, the, the purpose, the, the landing point, the destination, isn't punishment isn't the pain, it's setting things back on course. It's setting things as they ought to be. And God wants you and me to play a part in that. He gives us the privilege and the responsibility of being a part of him setting things right. And if we continue in the story, we see the beginnings of that. Verse 17, but because the midwives feared God, remember that Pharaoh had just told them, his plan and what he wanted them to do, these Hebrew midwives, right, to, to kill all the baby boys. They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king, um, the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, why have you done this? He demanded, why have you allowed these boys to live? Which I think is a stupid question. Like I could understand you being angry and wanting to penalize them, but you don't understand, like you don't get why these Hebrew midwives, these women who are Hebrew, who have dedicated their lives to birthing children healthily, don't want to follow this order. Like that seemed silly. Um, but anyway, he asked them, and then verse 19 says that the, their, their response is, well, the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. The midwives replied, uh, they're more vigorous and they have the baby so quickly that we can't get there in time. <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, and so here we meet the first heroes in the story, right? Now, what I don't know, we don't know for a fact that they were lying. Matter of fact, my, this is my own, personal, uh, my own personal guess about this, this, uh, this little interaction. I think, personally, uh, I think on the letter of the law, I think they were probably telling the truth. I think they took their sweet bippy time to get there. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen like a slowdown, like at a, at a place where it's like, well, we're not going on strike, but I'm going to do my job, but let me go take this paper over here. That's kind of what, what I picture. I think they just, they just made sure that they just conveniently were always there just a bit too late. Um, but we meet these, these, these first heroes. This is the group of women who began to resist this evil agenda. They're the, the first line of defense that we see, the first 
part of resistance that we see in this story. Um, you know, it's a, this is a good example for us that, that even in our everyday normal lives, we will be faced at times with the choice of whether we are going to stand up for our kingdom values or just do what we're told. Right? These midwives, they, they were just doing, they were just, they were just midwives. Like, they were just, you could fill in the blank, just carpenters, just salesmen, just anything. They were just doing their job when all of a sudden they were confronted with a situation that they had to choose between what was, what was right in the eyes of God and what was wrong. And it's a great reminder for all of us that our, our normal everyday lives, at times, we will all face an opportunity to stand up for the kingdom. And I said it like that on purpose. It's an, it is an opportunity, especially for, for uh, I'll speak for, for the, I don't know a guy, I've never met a guy that doesn't want to be a hero. We, we, this is why we watch superhero movies. This is why we, we love Die Hard and all of these, these <laughs> movies where there's one guy and he, you know, Red Dawn, where five guys take on the whole German army. Like, we love these stories because we love the idea of being the hero. And we, we will, you will at times have an opportunity in your everyday life to be a hero for the kingdom by not doing what you're told. It's not going to probably happen every day or every month. But you may have, you will have moments in your life. And it's important that we have eyes and we are aware. Because sadly, a lot of the times we, we miss the opportunity. Because we're so focused on the consequence. You know, for, for these midwives, they're, they're, they, now they... High risk, high reward. There was no denying that, that, that they had an opportunity here, right? This was an obvious thing that they, that they shouldn't do. But the stakes were also equally as high. Like, I'm sure they had no expectation of living beyond the disobedience. God's laws trump man's every time. Every time. And so when those things come into conflict, we have the chance, we have the opportunity to stand up and disobey, to say no, to refuse. Now, listen, we, we need to do it with strength, but we still need to do it with respect and as much love as we can muster. It doesn't give us the right to, to, to villainize somebody or, or be over disrespectful or to intentionally you know, just stick the knife in or be insulting. The midwives can only control their actions, not Pharaoh's. But God was pleased with that. Uh, in verse 20, he says, So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave gave this order to all the people, throw every newborn Hebrew into the Nile River, but, let, but you may let the girls live. Think about that. 
It was, that really stuck out to me. I've read this story I don't know how many times. I never caught until this time, or at least it never really fully sunk in. This was not a military order. Did you read that? Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Can you imagine for the Hebrews what that would have been like? It's one thing if you have an army coming in or a group of people, a hit squad coming through. That's, that's horrible, terrifying enough. It's, it's another whole thing when you've got an entire people group, right? The, 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 the people that you're serving in their house and you're all of these, everybody, you know, half of the people you see have been given this order and this freedom to just take your kid and kill them on sight. Had to have been a, just, I can't imagine. I can't, I just can't even imagine. Pharaoh refuses to be detoured and, and goes for it even even more, with this even more accelerated evil plan. But look how God orchestrates a response. Um, I'm not going to read all this because we don't have time, but you're, probably, you're familiar with this part of the story, I'm sure. So, Pharaoh tells them to throw all the baby, babies in, in the river, Right? And it says, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. So, so they get married, they have a baby. And to save the baby, they decide to put the baby in a basket in the river. Right? It floats down. They, they have, they have their, their daughter follow the basket to see what happens. The, ba the basket floats down. The Pharaoh's daughter happens to see the basket. Right? Remember this part of the story? Draws the baby out has compassion on the baby, decides, oh, I'm going to, you know, I want to I protect, I want to, you know, care for this baby myself. And so the daughter comes and says, oh, do you need a, a, a nursemaid? I can go find one for you. <laughs> That'd be great. So she goes back and gets the baby's mom to look after him. <laughs> And as we know, as you probably know, the princess named the baby Moses, right? Which somehow it's translated, I lifted him out of the water. God turns the evil meant for his people into the method by which he would bring about their deliverance. God is so cool that way. <laughs> God is, uh, I, 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 in my mind, I always, God is a judo master. Anybody know judo? It's a martial arts. It's like a, you know, martial arts wrestling sort of thing. And it's all about leverage. Judo is the discipline of, of using your enemy's weight and force against them. God loves to work in these sorts of ways. We see it throughout scripture. Um, and here we see the Pharaoh's very plan, the Pharaoh's very best attempt to, to eliminate Israel becomes the method by which God sets up the scenario to create the leader that's going to lead them to freedom. Paul speaks of this, this idea in Romans, in familiar verse, Romans 8, starting in uh, 
Well, in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 23, we don't have time to, to read all this. I'm just going to skip down to 27. And, and the Father knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit leads for us, us believers, in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever situation, God is working. God is working. And Paul gives us, earlier in this passage, Paul gives us some, some wise counsel. How, how do we, so what do we do in the waiting? When we're in that tension moment, when, when, when Pharaoh's made the edict and Moses isn't, isn't grown yet, right? Because there's, there's a lot of time between this moment and, the, and our story. We got many chapters before before. Chapter, what is it, 14 or 15, when Israel's leaving Egypt. There's two things we see in, in, in 8 and we see in the Exodus story. Uh, first is we cry out. We cry out. We're honest with God about our need. And then it also says we wait patiently and confidently by the power of the Spirit. Actually, I'm going to read that verse just because I feel like we need to see that. If we skip up a little bit from, from 28, sorry, that's a, little, that's a little confusing. Verse 24 says, We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. So we've been given a hope that things, that things are going to change, that God is going to move, even though we haven't physically seen it happen. But if we, uh, if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That is such an important verse in that passage because it gives us hope and gives us the conditions under which we can expect to wait. Our waiting doesn't have to be an angst-filled, depressed, weak state of weakness. We, we can, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can wait in confidence and patience. I mean, no, not all waiting is patient and confident. <laughs> there's, a, there's a different sort of waiting. There's, there, you know, there's the waiting for the bus. <laughs> right? Are you just, it's going to be here in five minutes. You know. And then there's the waiting to find out what happened with your loved one in surgery both situations. You have no control over what's going on, right? One, you're just playing on, you know, doodle jump on your phone. The other one, there's a lot involved and the minutes tick by very, very slowly. Why? Because, well, there's more at, at risk. But, but the scripture here reminds us, encourages us that, that we can wait with patience and confidence. And so, uh, just as our, we're, we're going to close today, we're running late, but I just wanted to, um, well, yeah, if you want to just noodle, that'd be great. Um, I want to just pray for some of us this morning, uh, just on that subject. Um, 
that maybe you're waiting, you're in a season of waiting for a situation. Maybe it's a, a situation with a loved one or, or someone that, that um, you know, you're really praying for to come to know the Lord, or maybe it's a, just a, a personal issue. But it's something that's out of your control and you know, maybe you know you have to wait. You're, you're putting it in God's hands, but if you're honest about the state at which you are waiting, you would have to describe it as angst-filled, depressed, stressed. God offers a better weight. The power of the Holy Spirit, he can empower us to wait patiently wait confidently and that doesn't require us having the specific answer sometimes we we god if i just knew if you would just just tell me the rest of the story it doesn't even have to happen yet but if i just knew how it was all going to play out it'd be fine and sometimes god does reveal but a lot of times he doesn't and the enemy likes to trick us into thinking that we don't have to, like, until that happens, until we get clarity, we just, well, it's just, well, it's just who I am. I just, it's just reasonable that I be stressed out and worried and, and weak and, and, you know, just constantly mulling this thing over and it, and it just sucking the life out of me. That's reasonable considering what I'm waiting on. And I would say in, in a, in humanity and human standards, absolutely. But we serve a God that is not human. We serve a God that is bigger and more powerful and has the ability to change and transform our hearts and our minds. So if you guys just want to stand, um, if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to close in a word of prayer. And if you're here this morning and and. And there's a situation in your life that you would, you would identify and say, God, I, you would recognize you, God, I need your confidence. I need your peace while I'm waiting in this situation. I don't want to, while I'm waiting for your deliverance, I want to be waiting for your deliverance, not waiting to find out if you're going to deliver me. Those are two very different things. So if that's you, I'm just going to pray. I just want to pray for you. Um, if while I'm praying, if that, if that connects with you, if you want to agree with me, you want to join in this, this prayer, I just encourage you, just raise your hand. Um, just as a, a, a symbol that you are, you are receiving, you, you want, you're making this your prayer as well. God, we, we, we thank you that you are a God that, that loves, that sets things right, that delivers. And Holy Spirit, there are things in our lives that we are waiting on. Not because we want to, but because we, we just don't have any other option. It is out of our control. Holy Spirit, well, while we wait, we, we believe and we trust you. Holy Spirit, would you give us your supernatural peace, your peace that passes all understanding, 
that we can wait in patience and confidence and rest. That we don't have to, we don't have to know what the outcome is to know that we can trust you with the outcome. Holy Spirit, would you just fill us? Those of us that, that, that need that, that we've been, we've been, had knots in our stomachs and, and maybe it's even led to some, some other health or stress disorders. God, we haven't been sleeping well at night. We have short tempers and we're constantly distracted. It's caused us to become small and, 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 and hoarding of time or, or, or the other people around us that we feel like we still have. God, we let go of all of that. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your presence. God, teach us to stand in the face of everything with your peace, knowing full well and be able to say honestly that it is well with my soul. God, and we just, we just, speak against the enemy, the lies that he would, he would try and tell us that that is not possible. God, when he comes in, would you, would you protect our minds? Would, you, would, you, would your voice be louder than the noise? God, give us the boldness to, to stand up to the, to the lies, to the, the, those those evil voices that would try and bully us and shout us down. We love you, Jesus. this. I'm going um, to close this prayer.